Hello and welcome to Arrest All the Mix. My name is Ben Tallon. This is the original Thinking and Creative Innovation podcast. Welcome back, listeners, regulars. Hello, new people. How are you all doing? I hope you're well. I hope you're staying creative. I hope you're kicking back against authority. <laughs> Oh yeah, I hope you're good. I hope you've got inky fingers. I hope you're creating a mess in wherever you work today. Thanks for tuning in as ever. Uh, The weather is turquoise and royal. I'm creating a whole series of hopefully decent promotional posters for the show. So I'm currently surrounded by cut and paste, spray paint, acrylic emulsion, Indian inks um, on board. These original artworks that I'm doing that are going to serve as a series of, at least to begin with, eight posters. So I'm currently stared down by misled on a ladder. Kyla Paolucci having her arm drawn on by someone. Andy Sandoz with his hood up and a beard. Um, Ken Garland kind of doubled up and pasted back over himself on a load of black spray paint. It's very exciting. I'm pulling some of the my personal highlights in terms of quotes, pieces of advice, stories from previous episodes, uh, and turning them into original artworks, which are going to be the basis for the posters. So that's going to be a whole new promo campaign because I really want to take awareness of this show to the next level. Like I mentioned last week, brand new theme tune for the show by Dirty Freud. Go and check him out. He's awesome. His music's on SoundCloud. You can check him out on Facebook and Twitter and everything else at Dirty Freud. Uh, really nice electronic beats, really cool forward thinking stuff. So go and have a listen to that as well. And keep an eye out for the posters because I'm going to start sharing some very soon. It's cool. It's good. I'm trying to push the brand out there. You've all seen the stuff with the 3D printed model and the hand-painted lettering. I hope you're into that. I really enjoyed doing it and really happy with the results. So I'm trying to push that now to the next level, picking up these gems, these sound bites, and, uh, and doing something creative with it. Let me know your thoughts on the Twitter at Arrest All the Mix. This week's sponsors... Regular bunch, very supportive, keeping this show free every week. Um, illustrationlimited.com. Sorry, illustrationweb.com. That's Illustration Limited. And the name of the business, they're my agency. They're brilliant. They look after me well. Uh, they represent over 200 artists worldwide dealing with animation, set design, fashion, illustration, art direction, lettering. Specialists in all areas. A lot of live art going on, a lot of mural work these days. So go and have a look, illustrationweb.com heartinternet.co.uk, providing us with a digital tip every week, uh, looking out for our SEO, where we're ranked on Google, how we're being represented under the key search terms for whatever it is you do, be it graphic design, illustration, film, theatre, musician, it doesn't really matter, it's just making sure that you're coming up where you need to be seen to get the work and the projects that you want to do. They also give great tips on social media, uh, website, making a powerful and effective website that's selling your work in the best possible way. So go and check those guys out, heartinternet.co.uk. Uh, the tip this week, uh, so I'm talking to David Cohen, which we'll get into shortly, who's a director, and we're going to be talking about all the different creative re- uh, roles on film in terms of art direction, set design, costumes, sets, uh, production, all the stuff. So it hopefully give you a sense of where you can plug in with your you know with your speciality with your skills if you want to work in film uh, and on screen so we're going to be chatting to him about that and looking back when i worked on a, on a short sci-fi series called portal which was screened on daily motion it's their first ever original content i was the art director on that role um six part 15 minute per episode sci-fi series 
turned out all right. It was low budget, it was basic stuff, but I enjoyed my role and I learned a hell of a lot. But what I did was share some of the, you know, some of the sets that I was helping create, some of the production uh, design, and I would share it on my my Instagram, my Twitter, and the rest of it. And I got fantastic feedback, and I got on the job tips from people. Actually, some people less experienced who just gave came up with some good points, and other people with more experience who made little suggestions as to how I could improve what I was working on. And it was a very valuable experience, so it's worth bearing in mind, you know, sharing those little works in progress and fishing for some some advice, and not being too afraid of criticism. And that's courtesy of Hat Internet.co.uk, Printed.com. Third sponsor in, absolutely heavyweight, looking after the show in a really good way. Uh, I'm writing a column with them twice a month, so you can go and read those on their blog. Uh, Freelance advice, telling stories, passing pointers, little bits of analysis. Had some good feedback recently. They're getting read a lot more, so go and have a look, check them out. Uh, Over 90 different products, all sorts of different finishes, uh, loads of fancy stuff you can do with your prints, great customer service, they're a really good bunch and I, I get all the shows, graphics done with those guys, all the all the flyers and everything that I hand around at networking events to promote the show. Uh, they're really cool, they do a really good recycled run which is what I tend to use for the environmentalist and me gets a bit panicked otherwise. So go and have a look. Um, this week's little printed story... Um, Having worked on these kind of productions in film, as we're going to talk about with David Cohen, director, coming up, uh, it's the same as what goes on in magazines. So when it comes to print deadlines and you know you need to see the, the overall big picture, whether it's storyboards on a film or it's the spreads from a magazine, it helps so much to see these things in front of you physically up on the wall. So... Oftentimes I will get prints of, of you know my sketches of sets, for example, and lay them out chronologically to, in, in accordance to the narrative. And it's a big, big help. So I just thought it was a relevant one with the film theme this week. So go and, uh, go and have a look at those guys. Absolutely fantastic support for the show. So cheers, good printers, go and use them. So this week's guest, um, David Cohen, director, top guy, actually played a big part in getting this show off the ground because when I first got the idea and I talked with Illustration Web about doing a podcast, David uh, was right across the way in my studios. He he had the unit across, which is sadly no more, but he's a top lad and we'd go for coffees regularly and we you know we'd just share ideas on creativity and what we were excited about, what we were down on, whatever it may be. And David was the one who who helped me out with the kit that I might need. He told me what sort of mic I should be using, what they all were. And for someone who wasn't up on any kind of broadcasting kit, it was really valuable. But as time went along, I took a deep interest in what David was working on because he'd work on a real mix of commercial and personal projects. And he cared passionately about what he does and he loves his film uh, and he loves his sci-fi. So he produced a submission for the uh, Sci-Fi London 48-hour film challenge, which does what it says on the tin. You have to produce and edit a film in 48 hours and submit it. Science fiction. So that was it. So he pulled together a crack team of filmmakers and producers and actors and found an awesome set and produced this film, Rapid Fire, and got... He got shortlisted, he was a finalist, he was in the top 10 final submissions, unfortunately missed out on the big one, but he was made up with the, with the submission and he's going to be re-entering the competition this year. 
two years on from its original production. So he came out at the end of it with a film called The Lost Sands, which is absolutely fantastic. It's a 10-minute short, which you really should go and check out on David's website, which is davidcohendirector.com. And I thought this was a fantastic opportunity to sit down and strip down the whole process, um, what he came up with, how he went about writing the script, storyboarding, pulling together the team, the crew, what does each person do on on site, um, how did it all turn out, what were the challenges, what were the restrictions, and how did they turn out to be positives in their own right. And I thought this was a really good angle because I know a lot of us uh, are big into our TV at the moment. It's a, a golden era for television with all the great projects that are going on, the Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, Billions, all the great shows that, um, that are on our screens that we're all talking about every day at the moment and on social media. Now, I know for, for sure that many designers and artists and illustrators would love to go and work on a film production, be it Hollywood, be it independent and quirky. There are so many openings um, but it's a kind of industry where you know it's good to go knocking on the door and learning on the job, learning through experience, being likable, being decent, working a little bit harder, mucking in on some of the runners' roles, whatever it takes. So I sat down with David Cohen to go through his project, The Lost Sands, and give you a contextual breakdown of just all the potential roles where you might slip in there. So listen closely, listen deep, and go and watch the film on um, on the work section of his website, davidcohendirector.com. It's fantastic sound design. I'm going to talk about all that stuff. It's really exciting working on a low-budget film when you're getting started. It's equally exciting and frustrating. So I recommend it because you really do learn a lot and maybe it's something you want to do. If it is, then you need to be listening today. So thanks to David for joining us. Uh, get me your thoughts over on the Twitter, at Arrest All Mimics. Let me know if you want to work in film, how you're going to go about doing that, or maybe you just want some advice. Hit us up and I'll pitch it to David. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Get us your thoughts. Like I say, the engagement for the show is improving all the time. I hope you enjoyed Sandra Diekman last week. Uh, always brilliant. Second time she's been on the show talking about her wonderful children's book, Leaf, which is out very, very soon on Flying Eye Books, who are part of No Brow Press, which I'm sure you'll all know about. Uh, thanks to the Association of Illustrators for the ongoing support of this show. They're a great organisation. We're working closely to get some heavyweight guests through the door. Um, I'm going to be joining them at the Hartlepool Illustration Festival, which is coming up very, very soon. We don't have the exact details on that yet, but watch this space. I'm part of a panel talking about illustration up there. Uh, it's running from the 2nd of June to the 29th of August, so it's quite a long-running festival. Loads of events. Go and check it out, festivalofillustration.com. Uh, and for the AOI, go and check them out at theaoi.com and all channels on social media. Uh, cheers, guys. So I'm going to take you to it. My conversation with David Cohen, director. Yeah, so uh, my name's David Cohen. I'm a director. I also edit and do bits and bobs of filming myself as well. Um, I sort of um been doing this for about... 15 years, got involved at university, um, didn't study actually, I studied design at university but they had a really good media centre mm. and um, it was set up in such a way that you could get involved in sort of student TV and um, radio and etc etc so that was my <coughs> that was my sort of practical um, playground if you like mm. and learning ground and that's how I got involved. That's the, I think that, that speaks a lot actually doesn't it, I know for you know having the facilities there and being able to explore and play and that's where I was like courses where you have the option for pathways and and trying different things like yeah absolutely I think sometimes you can overlearn something and you sort of can lose the the spontaneity and enjoyment of it because you're sort of learning too much theory whereas if you just got the facilities there 
and you can just sort of get involved and learn stuff yourself, then mm. I think that sometimes that's a, a really good way to learn. It sort of gives you the chance to channel your own learning as well, you know. When you, when you need to find out how to do something specifically, you know, you can just look it up. I mean, that's a great thing that now you've got so many tutorials online and stuff. Even on the last job that I was working on, I had to sort of encompass a bit of the old um, motion graphics effects and stuff and um, didn't know how to do it. And I just sort of jumped online, mm. did a quick tutorial and then did it myself. So, yeah. And it's quite rewarding that way as well. I think there's, you know, obviously there's benefits to doing that traditional uh, film school route or uh, learning, uh, you know, university route as well. Yeah. Um, there's stuff that you don't, wouldn't necessarily learn that side but um i just think for just enjoyment i think it's it's really good to just be able to go and do your thing and just have fun and experiment oh i think so and i think it comes with its own advantages i'm sure as a filmmaker now coming from a design background you'll you'll have skills and assets from that design background that you might not you know you might otherwise have had to go and pay someone a lot of money to come in and do perhaps yeah i'd say i'd say so yeah i mean there's there's definitely benefits um I haven't used much of it like explicitly, but just kind of like sort of secondary things like you know designing websites for example. I, mean, I, I can't do all the coding stuff, but um, just having a visual awareness I think is mm. is, is pretty useful. Uh, I've never call myself a designer now. No, no, but it, but it's you know it's good. I, mean, I was having a conversation with one of my previous guests, who's an electronic musician, and he came from a was dissuaded early on from that route at school so he went around the houses did creative writing degree worked in theatre playwright poetry came back to the music and he's got you can tell he's not there's certain things that have not been trained out of him you know because of yeah. because of that different route and actually comes with refreshing, refreshing ideas and it's like he's more playful he'll, he'll consciously break rules that maybe other people have been explicitly told never to do you know and it's yeah. like and because yeah. of that he's really getting noticed at the minute has been quite unique which is yeah cool. you, you develop your own style I mean I haven't spent much time on other people's film sets, you know. Um, I've just kind of worked it, worked out my own way, mm. and that's not necessarily right or wrong. But you just you learn to problem solve um, in your own way and adapt to you know the resources that you that you've got. And I think that can only be a good thing, yeah. um, because you, you do need a bit of an individual style and an individual voice, um, and, and not you know just to copy what other people do necessarily yeah. like sort of straight out obviously everybody has influences from different places and that's a good thing but yeah it's about feeling it somewhere new isn't it and giving yeah. it your your dominance you know really I think is the way to do it um, so okay so I mean so the <coughs> film that we're going to talk about that you worked on um, tell us a little bit about the sort of competition that you you got in, how did that come about in the first place yeah so in fact I got invited to uh, a friend of mine Vanessa who's actually the actress in the film she invited me to this screening the year before of the, uh, I think it was the winning films for the 48-hour, f- the sci-fi film, the sci-fi London <laughs> Film Festival 48-hour film challenge, something like that. Yeah. Um, and um, so the basic premise of it is that you have to make a film within 48 hours and you get given a prop um, to incorporate into the film, you get given a title and you get given uh, a random uh, line of dialogue as well. So that proves that you've made it within that 48-hour window because you only get given that like um, on 9 o'clock on the start of the challenge. <laughs> okay. So, cool. um, so um, yeah, so the concept is you have to write, 
um, uh, film and edit and deliver all within all within forty eight hours. So I went to the to to one of the screenings the the, the year before that we we did it, and I, I thought, oh, that's this is really cool. I reckon I could do a good job on that. And also, I'd never made a sci-fi before, so it was a real sort of challenge. Mm. Just thought, oh, I'm quite up for sort of making a sci-fi. Um, it's not a particular genre sort of um, that I'm. I love, although I do love, you know, some like main sort of sci-fi films. Um, definitely got an interest there, like uh, sort of Ex Machina and Moon, mm-hmm. and both brilliant. Yeah, and you know, there's Star Wars and, and all of that stuff. So, and 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 also, you just never really associate sci-fi with sort of miniature budget, you know, like sort mm. of micro, non-existent sort of amateur filmmakers' budget. So I just thought, well, that's just a really good creative challenge. And I sort of thought about it and sort of left it to the last minute as ever. And then it was coming around and I suddenly thought, well, let's do this. Yeah, I'm going to do this. And sort of pulled all, 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 all sort of got people involved and um, sort, of, sort of called around to see, see who was around and just decided to go for it, really. So what would, have been, what would have been the first step? Would it have been to sort of put the feelers out and actually see if this stuff is feasible and, could, you know, could you assemble the team to even implement the process? Yeah, I think I film? decided about a month before the actual thing that I was going to do it. Um, and my, I think I first of all, I called up Vanessa, who's, who's my actress friend too, I went to the first thing with. And um, I, I sort of, her and uh, another actor, one of her friends, um, Shiraz, um, to see if they were free. And I just thought that they would be great together. And I kind of started with them as an idea. And... Um, I sort of called around a few few of my filmmaker friends to see who was available, and then when they were and they were up for it, I thought I thought well, okay, well, I'm going to do this, mm. um, and um, so I started thinking about um, ideas at the time, and uh, I was at the time I was thinking I was reading up about this the whole Mars One project, um, the, the, the the sort of project to launch onto Mars um, in 2024 I think it is where four people get sort of launched to Mars and they never come back (laughs) and I don't know what the current stage of it but I was just fascinated by that whole thing and um, so I I decided to make a a film about that which you know is is ludicrous when you think about it now (laughs) just um, and I have to say as well actually that was before The Martian came out and before I'd even heard about The Martian yeah. Um, so uh, clearly, weren't the yeah, it was influenced. a really, really weird thing because <laughs> when it when they uh, sort of, when they announced it, I was sort of both sort of peeved and um, and also sort of like chuffed that I was onto something good. Yeah, you know. Um, and funnily enough, actually, the the opening scene of The Martian is exactly the same as the <laughs> film. <laughs> as the opening scene of my film, I like, like literally could not believe it. It opens up with um, um, the Matt Damon's character sort of testing out in in, on, in the outdoors, sort of sampling some stuff, which is exactly what we did. In fact, it's almost frame for frame. I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> and uh, like, it's quite funny because like obviously people are going to think I've copied the Martian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but if you actually look at it, I'm sure if you look at the dates, your stuff, your thing would have been out long before the Martian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It yeah. 2015, April 2015. That's right, yeah. So. It certainly feels longer than that, because I saw The Martian and I really liked it, but yeah, yeah. I, yeah. 
<laughs> that was long before it. So, so, so did I mean? Did you get the idea, and did you think about budget to begin? Did, did budget kind of force the idea, or it was, or did you? Um, I wasn't thinking about budget at all actually when I was thinking about the idea. I wrote the script because um, I mean you're supposed to write the script like within the forty-eight hour window, but I just I thought about it. I thought like I just, I'm not talented enough to be able to just come up with an idea. Mm. So I I had some ideas um, uh, sort of generating. And, and, I, and I started to write a loose script, and I thought, well, I can adapt it on the day. If I get given a, a title and a stuff, I can I can change that around. But I just didn't want to go in completely blind and just think like, because you a you are going to be spending you know quite a lot of money in just some logistics and stuff like that. And also, I wanted to have a decent film at the end of it, like not yeah. just a pants film. And I know that you're supposed to do it within the window, but I mean, from what I hear, a lot of people do do that. So. I think it's fair enough if you've got... You need to have it go in there with some ideas. I think it's... absolutely. I, I can't agree more. I mean, I just... <clears throat> no, you know, you can't do that. You can't just go and wing it. It's like, to a degree, yeah, we're always responding on, instinctively on the job, especially with such constraints. But at the same time, isn't that a wonderful challenge to work with refinement and, and to actually write for that window of time and, and think, okay, you know, I can be really clever with the way this is put together. Mm. Whereas if you just go in and end up with a lot of random footage I think I think anyone who knows what they're doing can often will probably see through that yeah I mean you're allowed to book your locations your actors all of your your crew and stuff so I, I kind of needed to have a concept of what I was going to do otherwise we wouldn't have known what locations to book you know yeah so um, so yeah I started to sort of generating ideas and, some, and writing scripts and that basically sort of evolved all the way up until the shoot date mm. um, which um yeah, the basic concept is is about a woman who's stranded on, uh, well, she's she's out in Mars, she's on her own, and um, things start to become apparent that re- reality isn't necessarily what it seems. So she's sort of tra- trapped in that moment, if you like. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's very um, it's very snappy. I like, I like, I think, I think you um, just speaking for the overall film. You know, it's very engaging given how short it is it left me feeling like I wanted to know what had happened before and what was going to happen afterwards you know which to me that says it succeeded in giving me that window because I'm pretty sure the people who organise this do are not expecting a full accomplished beginning to end thing you know I think you really need to do that with a short film it needs to exist the story needs to exist before and after the film and your film needs to act as a window like a little sort of window because you don't just don't have enough time in a in a five minute film. There is a, there's a five minute limit, basically, from the film. I forgot to mention. Mm. You just don't have enough time to tell a, a like a, a huge, huge, expansive story, and you've got such a small time to actually get um, our audience sort of involved in in the character story. It's mm. a real, real challenge, and I, I think there's you know I think you did kind of hit the nail on the head there because. You don't want to spell it all out. This is what has happened previously. Yeah. You know, this is the whole backstory. And at the same time, you don't want it to feel... It needs to feel expansive. and It needs to feel like it's, mm. you know, part of a bigger story. So I think yeah. that is a real challenge in, 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 in short films um, to, to kind of... I think, I think the thing is, is that as a, as a director, as a filmmaker, you need to know what's happened, I think. You need to know the backstory. Yes. And then you can hint at it. Yeah. If you've got absolutely no idea and your film is literally just that, you know, that yep. start and end point, 
it's going to feel like that. Well, yeah, I think that, and then I think you start to get into the ter- territory of character development and yeah. location uh, knowledge. You know, if there's a world, it's the whole. It's like the whole thing with the whole reason anyone who's into Tolkien's work or mm. um, you know whether it's Game of Thrones, uh, Terry Pratchett. Don't ever have to see any of that world, but but the yeah. fact that there's these you know offshoots and people love the fantasy of knowing about all Absolutely, that stuff. Yeah. That's important for you as the creator to understand that. Otherwise, an audience could probably tell. Yeah, that it doesn't exist. And, and even just to take, you know, let's take a simple relationship between a man and a woman. Let's sort of take, for example, you're making a short film about them. They've got a relationship already. Their relationship is a certain way. Maybe they're having problems in the relationship, for example. But you are arriving in that film, like in the deep end. You literally jump in the deep end. So you have got to know what that backstory is in order for those characters, yeah. that dynamics, to already exist. But then the at the same time, there's a balance to be had because you don't want to f- leave the audience feel like feeling like they didn't have a clue what was going on. Yes, so I think everything that everything should be there in the script in some way. Yeah, if you're going to justify your story points on it, then you need to be able to hint at something yeah. of this at least. Yeah, and I think it's okay for the for it to be left ambiguous as long as those ambiguous options are all valid mm. like it's either this or it's either that as yeah. long as both things could be valid then I think it's okay to have some level of ambiguity yes yeah that's I mean the... there's a lot of ambiguity in the film mm. which some of it was in the script and some of it was because we ran out of time to shoot so yeah 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 <laughs> so uh, we had to craft the story around that but I yeah. think so yeah so I mean I, I made this little list of um on the credits which I was surprised actually at the size of it given that this was a five minute film shot in 48 hours I mean we were so we've got producer director first AD director of photography script consultants editor music sound design VFX production mm. designer um, first what's first AC that's the one first, that caught me out first assistant camera thought it might be yeah first uh, sound recordists radio comms, comms voice gaff what's gaffer uh, gaffer's like um, somebody who sorts out all of the electrics and the sort of um, uh, can be involved in lighting and all the sort okay. of, sort of like on the want. camera side of things, but yeah. sort of a quite technical. Okay, uh, hair, hair and makeup artist and production assistant. Which for such a short film, I think that gives you a little idea of actually the size of crew required on film in general. You know, yeah, uh, anything... that, uh, that, that to me is small. Oh, of like, course, in the grand bottom, scheme, yeah, yeah. It was actually, um, I think it was Rob O'Connor who. Creative director Style Rouge, we had on a previous episode, said that I read a, I read a, an essay that he'd written on their website, and he said I'm the guy who hangs around at the end in the cinema to watch the credit list because of having worked on that many music video shoots, etc. I like to see that extensive list and yeah. that, to just give me an idea of the love yeah, and the, the work yeah. that's gone into that. So, although that's short, it gives you an idea, doesn't it, of all the roles required and the collaboration yeah, to pull something yeah. off. So, did yeah. the, did the team kind of come together? Do you felt it worked well? Um, very well, actually. I mean, there's you know there's a few sort of key roles in there, and, and those like you know your editor, your your sound designer, your DOP and stuff. Those guys I'd worked with before, and you know, it was it was it's so crucial to have a, a good working relationship for, for for films, especially in your key roles. Not not everyone. We had a bunch of new people there as well, so it, that was that was good to be able to sort of. A good project to sort of be able to 
test someone out on, if mm. you like. Yeah. But like, certainly, I was so pleased that, you know, um, Greg, um, who's the editor, um, could come on board, for example, because I, I just knew I could trust him. Mm. And he sort of came onto set, and I knew that he would... We've got the similar kind of sensibility, and I knew that he'd get what I wanted to achieve and be able to run with it, and and also sort of like give his own input into it. Yes. And when you've got forty eight hours to work on something, you literally have not got enough time to spoon feed every, somebody every, yeah. everything. You need to get there. They need to be able to embody the film and construct something that they think is good yeah. you, need, you, need, you need problem solvers don't you people yeah. who can respond to a challenge there and then and come at yeah. you with something equal to what you're putting in and it was exactly the same with Ross as well on the sound and the music he's just done an incredible job mm. because you think he's, he's, he's at the last phase so he can't really do much until he gets that final mix so we, he was working on the sound all the way through the night on the Sunday night along with me working on the grade yeah. um, and he, he pretty much put the whole score and the sound editing together in about four hours. Yeah, which is and incredible. it's really powerful, actually. It really, it really does... I mean, we're, you know, anyone who's into film will know the importance of that sound design and the score, but it really does lift... You know, it's, it's essential, I guess, in that, like we said before, the refinement and the, and the small window you've got into that film, it's mm. absolutely crucial that the music tells the story. Yeah. And I think it does it really well, personally. Um, yeah. I think it's really successful in that, you know... Particularly towards the end, when you know when we got the sort of four screen, uh, almost like CCTV style footage, I think the sound really kicks in there and really yeah. holds that and creates a real tension. Uh, he, he did a, an incredible job. Yeah, like e- even aside from the fact that they did it so quickly, I just think the sound is just adds so much to it. Yeah, just that atmosphere and that that sort of mood and tone and sort of sense of unease it's sort yeah. of, you know a lot of that comes from the sound design and well, it can make and break can't they if that was rubbish then you know they yeah. would have fallen flat no matter how good the rest of the stuff um, so, so okay so the role of the producer just very quickly what, what <coughs> yeah well I, I, actually that was so um, Sophie did a, again a fantastic job of producing that but that was the first time I'd worked with her I met her actually at um, a MoFilm networking um, event and um, I said, oh, look, I've got this sci-fi coming up. We got on really well. I said, look, I wanted, are you up for it? Because, you know, all of these projects are doing, you know, not, nobody's getting paid for them. Mm. So you all have to sort of you know, do it for its own creative merits. And I just thought, thought she sounded cool. And, like, you know, in, in some ways it's really good to do these projects to form relationships because you don't have a client. If it all goes wrong, you know, you're not, like, going to be messing up on this, you know, Mm. client shoot where the, you know it could be like the end of your career if you like so um and yeah she was really up for it and you know we, we she um we planned it in a really sort of short space of time and she was fantastic and it all, all came together really well but um sophie took handled all of this sort of logistics mm. um side of things sort of setting up the shoot making sure yep. everybody got got there uh to to the right place um you know, at the right time, booking equipment, um, sort of working with me on the whole um, shot listing and um, scheduling and stuff. And she also AD'd on it, um, so AD is like assistant directing um, on the actual shoot itself as well. Yeah. So she she was like sort of my closest collaborator, if you like. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I guess she's working inside of you in those dual roles. I mean, am I right in understanding? So, first AD is the person who's. Of course, assistant director, as it says on the tin, um, 
second in command, I guess. And, and oh, just on set, just making sure everything's happening according yeah. to schedule and yeah. coordinating everything. Because a lot of the time, if you're directing on set, you, you just you can't be you can't have your head in two spaces. Yeah, you can't be ordering people about and telling them to get there and no. working out the schedule whilst also dealing yeah. with the actors and getting them to get a good performance. Right, it's so the like, first AD does, takes up a portion of that, and so the producer is is everything over overseeing what the post production, the shoot, the. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Sophie was crossing over two roles here, so yeah. she was both producing and for sort of first ADing on yeah. set. So, and again, it's like sort of on a small production and that's yeah. it's it's a good way to go in, in some ways because she as a producer she already knows she doesn't need to get up to speed on anything she already knows all the sort of planning elements that need to take place yeah so on a bigger production the role of a producer would would, would be what i mean what is it in textbook form um, yeah i mean i mean it can it can vary as well i mean you know sometimes a producer is the person who initiates the project from the start and who who Finds a story and finds a writer and finds a director. Okay. Yeah, Other yeah. times they'll come on board when a, um, a writer or a director is the, the, the film is already in progress. But in, in general, I suppose you could think of a producer as somebody who just makes it happen from a from a logistical yeah. point of view, and you know from a finance point of view, from a budgeting point of view. Yes, like managing the, the project. Yeah, the project manager. hundred percent. The the project manager. Yeah. And they often don't get credit for how integral and important their role actually is because without yeah. them you know, nothing will happen and then the director's sort of more on the creative side if you like obviously and so yeah. it's not, not new information but um, uh, sort, of, sort of more sort of input on the sort of script and um, storyboarding and the shooting and stuff yeah but it, there's a lot of crossover as well because a, com, a producer can also have a lot of input on on story and creative yeah. aspects. You know, I that's one thing that I've learned from any work on film is that there's a lot of fluidity about every yeah. role. You know, yeah. and depending on the scale of the production, people have to mm-hmm. muck in and work on all sorts of different things and want to get involved. You know, so I suppose you know it is hard to, to just put one thing in, in a box, so yeah. to speak. Uh, director of photography. I mean, I did the first time I worked as art director was last summer, summer before last actually, two years. And um, so I'm a, so that's essentially within that camera frame, right? That's the yeah. person who's controlling what's going on in every single frame and, and actually shooting and all the the actual operating of the yeah. of the of the main camera, right? Operating that, lighting, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, in the in this case, um, James was doing his own operating as well. Sometimes you have a DAP who who stands back and you have a camera operator who yeah it does but you know again on a, a smaller production do you think you know what, what role does experience play in, in the production overall well i mean as, I think as a director i think you look for talent um and somebody who's got a bit of an eye in what they're doing i think there's the your key roles you just you absolutely need people with you know who really know their craft like you know, your editor, for example, your sound recordist, your your designer, uh, your sound editor, your, your musician, your DOP and stuff, because those are your core team you rely on. And you need them to just know their craft. It's stressful and, you know, enough on shoot. You, you can't be spoon-feeding them everything that they want to mm-hmm. do. They need to be competent so that you can rely on them to actually do do your vision. Yeah. And I think there's... But the, at the same time, they don't have to be at the top of their game like I think you as a director you know you, you do have to make compromises I mean, you look for somebody who's got talent 
and someone who's got creative ability and they've got potential, they might maybe on the way up, for example. You you can afford to take a few wild cards. Like I think you couldn't have everybody on set who's complete novice, unless you had the luxury of acres and acres of time where you could yes. literally. But you, that's never realistic, you know. I think you need to have. You can afford to have a few kind of wild cards um, on set, and I think it's also a really great way to meet new people to to learn to work with them, um, uh, sort of to set up to develop a working relationship with new people. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think you, you know. I think it's really good to um, be prepared to take a risk on somebody. Yeah, if, you if might if find you the next big thing something. that sets your film apart. You know, you might have yeah. someone who's coming in with such. Uh, a lack of a sort of trained mind, you know, Absolutely. they might come in with such fresh ideas that it sets you apart, provided you've got, like you say, you've got that steer to guide them in the necessary uh, paths that you have to take, you know, with their experience, then then that's a great balance. Yeah, you know? absolutely. But, yeah, you know, like you say, it's, it is about that, finding the, the right line with that. And also, I mean, it was, it was actually a benefit to have a small crew in this um, instance because the location that we used, which is the submarine, was incredibly small. Yeah, and um, it was a tiny place you couldn't actually cross through the corridor, and the film crew was there because there wasn't enough space to get out. <laughs> you had to get all the way to the back, o- over the top, and round yeah. to the other side. <laughs> so you know, it was so small that you, you know you had to be a really efficient team, but you also had to sort of cross a number of roles as well. Yeah. So how did you even go about finding a submarine? I mean, you know, it's just so the submarine. I mean, that was just an incredible find, really. But you know, coming back to the story, I knew that it needed to be. An environment where it was completely self-contained. Because if it, if this woman, if this character was on Mars, then you know she's everything has to be. I thought, well, actually, probably the best place for Mars, if you're going to live on Mars, is going to be underneath the surface because you're going to be. You know, otherwise, you're going to be exposed to radiation. Mm. So I thought, well, I thought, well, what's a kind of good underground space? And I looked for sort of nuclear bunkers, and I looked for. Um, a, a bunch of locations and then suddenly it occurred to me well what about a submarine or a ship and I had a look around for for submarines it was actually really difficult to find they were really expensive and sort of marine kind of um, spaces um, and I mean they were like crazy expensive so it's like £500 an hour or something I thought well that's, that's ridiculous yeah and then I just stumbled across this sort of this retired um Russian submarine um, from which was retired in the 1970s <laughs> down in Rochester and um, uh, sort of moored up and I thought well that would be perfect and it took me ages to get through to them because the, they sort of didn't reply and I didn't have any email address <laughs> and yeah. eventually I managed to get through to somebody and um, it turns out that they, the same location was used on um, on a film recently um with Jude Law in it. Oh, really? I um, remember the name of it. Um, Black Sea or something? Ah, I remember the one. I can't remember the title either, but I, I, I remember, I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, so they used the, they used the same location and they also built their own replica of it so that they could flood it with water. Um, but I, I, I saw pictures and as soon as I went there, we did a location recce. And I stepped into it. I thought, this is incredible. Yeah. It's, just that it's a ready-made set, even without doing anything. It's everywhere you look is just so intricately planned with like levers and knobs and technical instrumentation and just so visually interesting as well. I just thought, well, 
we could just shoot anywhere here. Mm. You know, you could point the camera in any direction in any part of the submarine, and um, it's going to look awesome. So I like. As soon as I saw it, it was I was sold really. Yeah. And that. It's but it was an amazing find. Well, you were, it is. I remember actually running you into you in the corridor and you showing me some shots and I'm thinking, oh my god, that's amazing. That's like, you know, that's the stuff that you go to college for, isn't it? The idea yeah. of working on sets like that. I think that's awesome. So, I mean, yeah, fair play for getting that locked down and actually making that happen. But then I guess like, it does pull out a certain resourcefulness in you, doesn't it? Working on productions at that level without those sort of constraints. So to go on there and do that, I mean, that's brilliant. But then, you know, people underestimate just the things that I find the most challenging is, like you say, the stuff that I suppose would be a producer's role, making that happen, getting all those people out to that location on time, mm. getting the kit there and working on it. We had a lot of challenges because we couldn't actually, we had to get a boat out to get onto the actual submarine itself. <laughs> so we had a huge amount of um, camera equipment and other equipment and props and everything. So that actually took quite a long time to get the stuff onto the boat, then to get from the boat onto the submarine, because there's no actual, like, uh, forget health and safety, there's like a brick, there's like a, a ladder that crosses over from the, from the things so we are carrying heavy equipment. But you know, you know, across this the real adventures going on getting onto there. a submarine, um, so it's sort of crazy um, thing. But you know, it was like there was all these costs associated with having the submarine. But it was so I felt I felt like it was so important to the story, and it was going to contribute so much that it was worth it. Yeah. Um, and um, in fact, we had another issue actually on 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 the set, in, and it was completely unexpected, is that the 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 submarine itself sits, um, it is moored up in, in the river yeah. um, in Rochester. And the it, it, over time it's created its own little um, bed to sit in and it become dislodged. So when the tide was at the, the, the lowest stage, basically the, the, the submarine was sitting on the wrong part of the seabed and therefore it was tilted over. At certain times in the day, so the guy, so the guy called me up like I think a couple of days before the shoot and said, "Look, we've got this problem in that between you know at the low tide, a couple of hours, the the the, um, the submarine's on like a, a forty five degree angle." <laughs> <laughs> so we were like, "Oh, well, how are we going to sort that out?" And you know that was it actually lost us a lot of time because even even though in the end it was okay, we had we were forced to schedule around it. And then because we scheduled around it, then we actually lost time mm. um, because we, there wasn't that much we, sh- we could do without the actors and without the kit and stuff like that. So, you know, th- again, that was a bit of a, a learning um, <laughs> thing where, where we could have utilised those couple of hours better because in the end it was actually fine and it didn't, didn't have such a big problem. But <laughs> quite an amusing uh, yeah. problem to have. You'd <laughs> yeah. never, you'd never That's think one of a kind, that. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. That's you. You can only you can't prepare for that stuff, really. Only learn how to deal with it when it comes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I mean, did you kind of get in to the location, and that was it? You had to work compositionally. You know, I mean, in terms of the director of photographer's role, did you get in there, see what you had to work with, and then go for it? Did you storyboard sort of without seeing the location? How did that stuff work in terms of planning the shots? Um, I did. I did do a quick storyboard um, before the shoot. Um, to give us an idea of what it was we wanted to shoot, but as soon as we got, we did a recce beforehand, um, mm-hmm. and um, I'd sort of chosen rooms for each scene. Yeah. And so we knew what bit we were filming 
there uh, probably about sort of seventy percent of it we knew what, where we were going to shoot stuff, mm-hmm. and on the morning we, I just sort of went around and I chose different bits for the extra bits and, and stuff. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I mean, and th- that was another challenge as well, is because it was an, uh, you know it's been abandoned since the nineteen seventies ex- essentially. Um, we needed to look lived in. Um, yeah, and that's where James um, um, came into his own, who's the production designer. Mm. Um, and he was sort of fresh out of college really I don't think he had that huge amount of experience but he was just just really on it uh, had really good creative ideas he sent me through some production design um, sort of photos and uh, references beforehand and I thought yeah, I was mm. quite impressed with that so, so in general so again in general speaking production designer because I'm just learning all this stuff at the minute because yeah. I would like to do more stuff in film is the person who oversees the, I guess the visual treatment of anything from a set to a graphic to uh, the film poster does it extend would it extend into that I mean um, I don't know about the film poster certainly everything in in the frame um, from a production point, point of view um, yeah. it needs to be thought about um, so production designer can, can often work with a director to um, nail down a colour palette for example so the yeah. colours that you want to use in, in, in the film um, and all of the props and stuff like we had to bring loads of our own stuff just to make it look feel, feel lived in mm. and to get this sort of sense of cluttered space because there was a lot of um, sort of technical equipment radios and, and all this stuff which was already on the submarine which we made use of but <clears throat> you think if somebody's been living there for you know the last 10 years for example and it's such a small space they're going to be doing stuff mm-hmm. they're going to have bits of paper lying around they're going to have lamps they're going to have yeah. you know just stuff that makes it feel lived in so mm. he, he handled all of that and um, uh, again that he did a great job and that you, you wouldn't notice it but it actually just contributes so much it really does to the feel of it it's often very subtle isn't it I mean um, I went to a talk two weeks ago at DNAD Festival with um, Annie blah, 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 Annie Atkins who works with Adam Stockhausen on the Grand Budapest Hotel and so many subtleties in, you know, I mean, just to pick out Wes Anderson's stuff, it's, it is, it's a mood, it's almost a mood, mm. isn't it? It's not, it's, yeah. you get, okay, you get direct things to, to instigate that mood, but often it's about that overall consideration, like you say, the colour palette, mm. um, stylization of things, yeah. which really contribute to that. And I, I, I think it very much felt lived in on your film. I, thought, I felt, you know, I looked at the, the sort of wads of paper on the wall with, you know, what, and straight away, my brain is thinking, "Oh, well, you know, then they're obviously notes, workings out of things. What could that be for?" And again, that's where the the loose end is a, is a positive thing because it left me with a deeper narrative, wanting to know more about mm. what they were working out, what was the project, all those yeah. things yeah. didn't quite give me it. So it left me. I think that's a good thing, you know. It left me wanting to know more. So if you were ever going to go on and do a longer version, I would certainly be. I'd have bought into that idea already, you know. Yeah, and I mean, it, there was also sort of a style thing as well because everything on there is so retro. So I sort of, you know, because it, you know, it was retired in the 1970s and it was in service for probably 50 years before that. So all of the equipment looks so cool because it's so retro. Yeah. But yet this is kind of futuristic as well. So we had to find the sort of marriage between <laughs> something. But, you know, my sort of thinking was, well, you know, she's probably been there for a while. So whatever, however long she's been there, it's going to be old technology because it takes a year to get to Mars anyway, pretty yeah. much. So um, is it a year? Yeah, I think it's about nine months. I believe so, yeah. yeah. Something like that. Um, so, um, and then there's kind of little, little bits of technology which are a little bit more futuristic, for example, the, the lamp, uh, sorry, the, um, the clock mm. and stuff. 
Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I just sort of love the look of all of that retro stuff as well. So we tried to get, on the production side of things, we tried to keep in, in keeping with that. Well. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to have a key thing, isn't it? And then work outwards from that. And I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I thought it's, it worked strangely. The futuristic kind of clock almost and the, the retro stuff somehow worked. I don't know why yeah, it was, you, but it, you'd sort of expect it because you know you, you can't technology, you know, digital technology sort of fails in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, you, you expect the sort of analog technology to be more robust. So if you were isolated and you had to rely on this stuff, you'd probably want to put your money on the, the more analog valves and stuff, the stuff that you can repair, yeah, rather than the, the electronics. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's true. In that environment, you would. Yeah, so it really yeah it worked from a practical point of view as well. So it's so in terms of editing, then. So you would have wrapped up filming, and I mean, how long did you have left to actually edit and meet the deadline? Um, we, we sort of split into the two days. Really, we we did the filming on the Saturday. All happens over weekend, um, and and then most of the the editing on the on the Sunday and through the night. And we did the sound editing and. The grading um, yeah. through on a Sunday night. Brilliant. And Greg, the editor, was actually there on set, so he was taking the rushes um, from the camera, um, importing it and st- making a start on, a, on the edit. Whilst we were Th- these are the things that people don't think about, aren't they? It's, it's the stuff that off that consumes the most time. Is is just the simple logistical stuff. Yeah. Getting from A to B, moving yeah. a, moving a huge file onto one hard drive or onto a, yeah. That's the stuff that really it's eats up really the time. Slows you down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the actual filming, the actual, let's say, the grading and the colour correction, that stuff you're trained to do, that's second nature. But it's, it's the waiting for the transfer and everything else that kills you. Yeah, and of course we're just shooting sound and camera separately, so all of the footage have got to, and all of the files have got to be sort of transferred over, then they've got to be organised in the mm. editing software, and then they've got to be all synced up and before you can even get to the creative. So there's a lot of prep work that, that takes place. Yeah, it was actually really nice for Greg, I think, to be on to be on set because he then got a sense of the vibe and what we were doing. He was like actually in the thick of it because a lot of the time the editors sort of sort of sort of hidden away in an editing room for long periods of time and they don't actually experience the excitement of being on set. So it was actually really nice for him to be able to, I think. But you know, on a lot a lot of films these days, you know, editors are on set and sort of making a start compiling the film whilst they're actually on whilst the shooting takes place because yeah. if there are any holes and <clears throat> or anything that you sort of might be missing then they can then feed back and you can do reshoots whilst you're actually on set. Yeah. It'll save the cost um, yeah. for doing reshoots after the actual yeah. film is finished. And in terms of the aesthetics such as makeup and uh, hair and that kind of stuff and costume, did you I I imagine I mean did the actors sort of come with well, their we ideas? were really lucky actually with the costume because um we didn't have a costume person on, on the film, and we sort of didn't have much money as well to, to find costume. Um, so we were sort of a bit of a problem. We were sort of le- leading up to the shoot, and um, we got a few things, but they just looked a bit naff, and we couldn't find anything. And I think at the last minute, uh, sort of, I, I said to, to Vanessa, I said, oh, "Well, it's kind of like a Fifth Element sort of vibe." And she said, for film, she said, I've got just the thing. My mum had a, a 1960s kind of jumpsuit, which would be nice. perfect. And this, she sent me a photograph of it. And as soon as I saw it, I said, that's it. That yeah. looks amazing. It's great. It's really great. I, I was wondering, watching that, I was like, why? 
don't know what it is. It legit works brilliantly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like actually, khaki, is it? Yeah, yeah it's, like it's a, kind of. It looks. It looks quite sort of. Um, is it military in a way? It's like it a, is it's quite like military. A, yeah. Uh, um, it's like it's almost like a cool set of overalls. Yeah. Um, but I think she looked great in it, and it, it was it really lended itself well to the film. And we, again, it was just really lucky at the last minute that we got that look. Yeah. Well, the, but the thing is that I always say with this, I'm always very hesitant in my use of the word look because you, like you said, we're problem solvers, and you get used to just, to just grabbing an opportunity out, out the air yeah. when it's there. And it's you know, and every project I've worked on, it's always felt like we got really lucky in in, yeah. in bringing something in that wasn't unconventional. Actually, that's that's most of the job. That's what you yeah. have to be trained to do. That's the skill and the art of it. Especially when you don't have money as well. You know, the at the start of the film, there's the contraption that she's extracting the sort of liquid yes. from. So what that is, is actually part of a... I went round Deptford High Street and for Poundland and all of these sort of hardware stores. Got an old welder. Um, sorry, not welder, soldering, soldering iron. Mm. So it dismantled that and the front bit is that. And then there was this kind of cool-looking bicycle pump, which had sort of stuck the two things together, and and then sort of found these sort of capsules at the back as well, sort of fitted it all in. So the day before the shoot, I was creating this kind of piece of machinery out of just you know cheap tap, really. Yeah. Um, and you do, you really do have to be sort of like yeah. think outside the box. I think <laughs> I, just, I think something like this is kind of like marine training for filmmakers. Yeah. Because you're not only doing it on next to no budget, you're doing it with a, within a really short, confined space of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're also doing a sci-fi genre, which is normally, you know, you associate with big budget because you're creating new worlds. Yeah. So it's sort of three sort of elements that sort of hammer you down to just sort of really um, being resourceful, to thinking on your feet. So I just kind of think, well, if you can do that, then you can almost do anything. <laughs> well, you can. It's the, it's the, okay, maybe the wrong analogy, but it's in the same way that my dad always used to say, oh, you know, the reason that South American footballs are really good, you know, Maradona grew up in poverty playing exactly. with a ball of rags, uh, exactly. kicking it around the streets, which... Uh, I thought it was kind of exaggerating, but I read his autobiography, and it is the case. And and therefore, he gets given this luxurious leather football in the World Cup, and just kicks everyone's ass. And it's like exactly. it's the same thing. You you couldn't just throw a budget at someone who's not gone through that at the top level and expect them to succeed because you have to be canny and uh, and, and like you say, problem solve. You know, I mean, I'm sure you're the same as me. Where walking around Poundland these days is a sensory overload experience. It's like <laughs> it's like psychedelic almost. As every single cheap tap product is something else in my mind. It's an advertising campaign, or it's my way of producing something that should cost two grand for twenty quid. You know, it's like yeah. coming out with big carrier bags full of props. <laughs> and I'm doing that at the minute. I've got some crazy projects lined up. Uh, I'm probably not going to share because I don't want someone nicking my ideas. But, <laughs> but I've gotten really good at, at, at making the most of those, you know, bargain bucket shops. And uh, oh, yeah, they're actually great. Yeah, um, for stuff like that. The hope is that one day you won't be quite at that level of having to <laughs> <laughs> beg, scratch, and steal. You know, you might have the luxury of commissioning a really cool animator. You know, and it's not out of your own back burner. It's <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. You know, but but these are like you said, these things are where you learn. So whether it's a, a formal competition like the one your film was uh, nominated for or just a self-initiated thing I think time constraints and budget constraints are the best learning tool you, you always have a, you always have a budget constraint whether you're working on million pound top end feature films you always have a budget constraint and I think just the ability to make more out of your budget is mm-hmm. a really good thing to learn at any stage because mm-hmm. you, know, you can always make whatever budget or whatever resources that you have 
you can always make it feel bigger than that absolutely just by being clever yeah that's it and again you know like you say if it's at Hollywood level someone comes back and provides three times more then they're going to be the guys they've got that are reused on the next project you know mm. which uh, is brilliant you know so are you going to enter again or have you got anything have um, you, are you I going wanted to... to enter again this year but the timings didn't work I, I got two big jobs happening just right at the, the time and um so a few people that I wanted to work with weren't available either. So I had to sort of pass up this year. But I think I'm going to apply again next year. Yeah, yeah, it'd be great to see uh, see what you do with it next. And um, and people can check it out. Is it davidcohendirector.com? Yeah, so it's it's up on David Cohen, uh, www.davidcohendirector.com. Cohen spelled C-O-H-E-N. And um, the film is called The Lost Sands. Um so you can you can pick it up there and have a watch. Yeah, yeah. So people know it's almost like a director's commentary there. You can go and <laughs> listen to everything we've yeah, talked exactly, about and yeah. see how it how it turned out, which in my opinion is brilliant and it's a, a, a very valid nomination for the uh, top ten, right? Uh, yes, yeah, so we were shortlisted to the top ten, um, and they sort of got screened as part of the um, festival um, sort of screening program. And uh, there's all the cast and crews. I thought that was just really exciting to see, and um, uh, and yeah, that was it. So yeah, that's no, tremendous. Uh, people really well. People will have to go and watch it to uh, to to understand what yeah. we're talking about. But, well, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, brilliant. Yeah. It's I mean, it's a value say it's under five minutes, but it's just it really teases you and it's a really engaging film. So do go and watch it. And uh, again, you know, that's the reason I wanted to do this is to just. Because, I mean, me as an illustrator coming into film, I learned on the job what everyone's role was and where my work fit into the bigger picture. But uh, uh, the hope is that this will give people an idea of where they might fit in and who they need to work with. You know, it's like my friend um, Kyla Pellucci, who was on a previous episode, she worked with Adam Stockhausen on Huawei Young. Mm. And, you know, she was brought in to create these custom T-shirts and sort of wall graphics and various things. And that was fascinating to me. And I thought, oh, God, you know, I want to do more of that stuff. Mm. So it is. So it's interesting. And that's what I wanted to do with this. So... But I think your film encompasses many different roles really well in a short space of time. So yeah, thanks. We're going to actually um, uh, enter it into a few festivals and stuff now. Um, the reason we haven't uh, done it was because we were actually making a few tweaks and stuff to it since since the um, since we finished it. So the, the the version that's up there at the moment is is the uh, it's not the actual um, exact version that we uh, submitted for. The sci-fi film competition, which is actually, I think it's still up there. Actually, it's on the the, the sci-fi film festival forty-eight hour challenge website, and, and the title is called "Best Served Cold" because that was the title that we got given. So after after we finished it, there was a couple of tweaks that I wanted to make, and just sort of trimming up in a few areas and um, to trimming up some some of the levels and the sound and it's it's slightly different to be honest with you you probably wouldn't notice unless you watch the two side by side but yeah. if you want to see the actual the 48 hour submission that we did then go to the sci-fi london uh, film festival um 48 hour page and um yeah, and you can check it out there and you can watch both of them side by side if you like to see, to mm. see how they do i'll do that film. myself actually yeah. but um <laughs> yeah i mean the, so the version that we've got now is just just a little bit more slick there's a couple of frames trimmed off here and there a couple of lines of dialogue it's got a better sound mix um and um, a couple of tweaks on the grade but essentially it's it's, it's the same film 
Brilliant. Yeah. And so the last segment I always do is Shark in the Tank, where I ask my guest to name a sort of creative love and a hate. And it's, again, it can be playful, it can be serious, it can be whatever you want it to be. It's just, uh, I always get interesting answers back from people because it's kind of an on the spot question. But um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I mean, one of my favourite directors is um, Ken Loach um, because, um, A, he's always so politically astute and profound. Um, but but also because he just so he's such a devotee to to realism and to to authenticity. And I really respect the way that he I really likes sort of the way that he he chooses to shoot his films chronological order and sort of drip feeding the script to the actors as they go along so that they have a, a level of spontaneity. Um, and he's got a recent film out actually done. Um, I think it won the. Palm d'Or at Cannes just recently and it's had a lot of press um, sort of exposure which is great so I really want to see that so he, I'll definitely sort of cite him as one of my key influences mm. um, as, to, as to hate I mean I don't know man that's a, that's, a, that's the harder one because <laughs> I, I, there's a lot of stuff I mean even if something's not really my style I can see you know I can enjoy parts of it mm. um, I don't know if there's like can think off the top of my head of something that I really, really hate. Oh, it doesn't have to be. It could be play. Like I say, it could be playful. It could be a bugbear. Something that's annoyed you this morning. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's a really kind of. It's a sort of very open-ended question. But yeah, I was watching Skins the other day, um, and I was watching it because I've never really normally watched that. I mean, I do watch some crap as well, but I just I, th- I have to say I thought it was really poorly made. Mm. Like uh, I, I sort of like the concept, but I just thought the acting was so bad. Yeah. And but I mean, I was watching it because I thought it was in a sort of an inspiring way. Mm. I just thought, well, I could do better than this. Mm. Like seriously, like yeah. I just, I mean, I know there's always problems on set, like and there's you know a lot of stuff is out of your control when you're working production companies and and TV stations and stuff. Um, and there's there's a lot of really talented people on there, but I just think the way it's put together is just like could be so much better. Yeah. So I feel bad for saying it. That's but. a good answer. <laughs> no, I think we are. Yeah. I was kind of watching it as curiosity to see what because um, I know there was um, a young directors program out there to sort of get new people in, involved in, in directing it um, and stuff, which I may have may not have applied for. I can't remember. But um, to just kind of see what's out there and see what the level is. Um, but um, yeah, well, there you go. There's my answer. Yeah, <laughs> that works perfectly. <laughs> I still watch the whole thing though. I quite enjoyed yeah. it. <laughs> There's enough in there to keep you going. like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks very much for your time. Don't yeah, you're more than welcome. Uh, thanks for um, yeah. thanks for the interview. And Paul, as ever, put all the, I'll put all the information in the show notes. People can check it all out. Yeah, I'm look, looking forward to seeing what the next submission brings. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> so got a couple of projects in the pipeline. So perfect. Thanks again to David Cohen for taking the time to sit down and go through his brilliant short film, The Lost Sands, sci-fi submission for the Sci-Fi London 48-hour film challenge. Um, the reason, the timing for this show, uh, bringing this out, is that uh, the submissions are opening 1st of May for the Sundance Film Festival. Yeah, we all know about that one, so, you know, celebrating independent talent and uh, original ideas, which is what this show's all about. So go and have a look.
Maybe you've done your own little film production and you want to submit. Who knows? It's not beyond the realms of possibility. So thanks again to David. Um, thank you for listening, guys. It means a lot. Thank you. Please share the show. Go and drop me a review on iTunes if you get a moment. Um, it really, really helps. If you're into the show, let me know why and go and tell us on there. People subscribe on there for free and it's just good to get some endorsement from the people who like what I'm trying to do, championing the creative industries and giving people all sorts of insights and hopefully some nice advice and ideas for what they can do with their own artistic direction. So thanks again. Like I say, feedback on the Twitter at the Restonomics. Thank you so much to the sponsors, uh, illustrationweb.com, heartinternet.co.uk and printed.com. Um, let us know what you're up to. Send me your work. Send me ideas. Who do you want to hear from? Do you want to be on the show? If so, why? Pitch it at me. Hello at bentallen.com. Always willing to listen to submissions and people's thoughts on doing it. I've had a number of people get in touch and suggest that, and they've ended up coming on the show. So go back and listen to all that good stuff. So cheers again for checking in. Uh, have a great week. Get creative. Push the board. Um, push the board. What am I on about board? It's because I'm surrounded by boards of all these artists for the new graphics. <laughs> so keep an eye out for that stuff. Cheers, guys. I've rambled on far too long. Have a good week. Take care. See you soon. Bye.